Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome uh, to our online service. And uh, we are so glad that you are able to uh, join us like this, and we're so thankful for this opportunity to, to gather on this very, very special day. Uh, I think we have a, a wonderful service planned for, for us, but what, what is more important today is not us, is not that, wow, we can do this uh, online or you know, COVID-19 or anything like that. What we really want to do now is we want to focus our hearts, our minds on what Jesus did for us. Uh, 2,000 years ago, Jesus made a decision to do something for us that no one else could do. And he surrendered his life and he bore our sin, our shame, our guilt, all of those things. He took that upon himself so that we would have freedom, that we would have victory, that we would have something that we could never, ever have accomplished on our own. So families, thank you for joining us, and thank you for taking the time to, to set, you know, just a, a time aside where you stop like us and where we reflect together. And so, welcome here. Uh, this morning we have uh, a, a few different things in store for us. So in a little bit, uh, we're going to sing together. Uh, Jake Clausen and Jen Quiring have uh, put together some music for us, and they're going to they're going to lead us in singing. And boy, I wish we could fill this room with songs. I wish that we could sing together like this, but we can join in song wherever we are. And so uh, crank it and sing along as loud as you possibly can. And right after we're done singing, we're going to sing two songs. And right after we're done singing, my wife Maria is going to read a, a, a book for all of you kids. And so kids, gather around the TVs. Make sure that you're listening carefully because uh, this is a beautiful story. And I'm actually going to use part of the story that Maria is going to read to you as, as part of my sermon. And so gather around the TV and make sure that you are listening and that you are learning. And, and we have uh, an opportunity just to learn in different ways. And so let me open in a word of prayer. And then after that, um, please join together in singing. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this opportunity uh, to be live like this. And we're gathered in our different homes and we're gathered in maybe even our own private places right now where we're just, where we're just wanting to reflect on you. We want to reflect on what you've done for us. And we thank you so much, Jesus. We thank you so much for the price that you paid, for being willing you're the King of kings, you're the Lord of lords, you're God, sovereign, and yet you came to earth and you allowed the very people you created to crucify you so that we could have life. And we thank you, God, for that. And Lord, I know that in this time, we're experiencing hardships, we're experiencing, well, globally, something we've never experienced before. So God, I pray that right now we wouldn't dwell on that, but that we would see as we're about to sing that you are a way maker. And that even when we don't see it, you are working, that you are accomplishing things in our own lives and you are accomplishing things around the world that we can't see, that we maybe can't even understand. So God, at this moment, I pray for all of us, would we just set aside our worries, our concerns, and place our focus on you and allow you to minister to our hearts. I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. So wherever you are, stand up or sit down, however you want to sing, but let's join together and let's sing.
Today I want to tell you a very special story and the reason that this story is just so very special is because it's about what we're celebrating today. It explains a little bit about that but more importantly it's special because it's true. 
It's the true story about Jesus. And it's true for me, it's true for you, it's true for every single person in the whole world. And that's why this story is so very special. The Garden, the Curtain, and the Cross by Carl Lafferton, illustrated by Catalina Echeverri. It's the true story of why Jesus died and rose again. A very long time ago, right here in this world, there was a garden. In the garden, everything was wonderful. The world was full of laughing and playing and smiling and fun. There was nothing bad ever. There was no one sad ever. And the best of all, God was there. Hello, Adam. Hello, Eve. He had made it all. He was in charge of it all. He loved it all. People could see God and speak to God and just enjoy being with God. Eve, God's here. He wants to walk with us again. How cool is that? Yay, I bet it's going to be even more amazing than yesterday. It was wonderful to live with God. But then one day, the people did a terrible thing. They decided they didn't want to do what God said. They decided they wanted a world without God in charge. God calls this sin. Sin spoils things. So sin has no place in God's wonderful garden. God said to the people, you can't live with me in my garden anymore. And he sent them outside. To show the people that they had to stay outside, God put some warrior angels in front of the garden. The angels were like a big keep out sign. Now things were sometimes bad and people were sometimes sad. But people still kept sinning because they didn't want God to be in charge. So no one could come into God's wonderful place. God said, because of your sin, you can't come in. God wanted people to remember, it is wonderful to live with him, but because of your sin, you can't come in. So he told the people to build a special building called his temple, where he would live. In the middle of the temple was the most wonderful place in the world, the place where God was, with nothing bad and nothing sad. It was very exciting. But then God told people to put a big curtain around this wonderful place. The curtain had pictures of warrior angels on it. It was a big keep out sign. For hundreds of years, the temple curtain reminded people that God said, it is wonderful to live with him, but because of your sin, you can't come in. Babies became grown-ups and had babies, and those babies became grown-ups and had babies, and those babies became grown-ups and had babies. Hundreds of summers and winters passed by, and the keep-out curtain stayed in the temple. Then one day, God's Son came to live in this world as a person. He was called Jesus. Jesus always did what God said. Jesus never sinned. And Jesus visited the temple where the keep-out curtain hung. Jesus knew that things were sometimes bad and sometimes sad. Jesus said that God had sent him to open the way back to God's wonderful place where there would be nothing bad and no one sad. But people still didn't want to let God be in charge. So they decided to put Jesus on a cross to die. It was the most bad thing that had ever happened. It was the most sad day of all time. But Jesus had a plan. He had always planned to die on the cross. What a strange plan. Why would God's son plan to die? On the cross, Jesus took our sin. All the bad things we do and all the sad things they cause, Jesus took them all from us. And when he did, something amazing, astonishing, astounding happened. The curtain tore. God had ripped out the keep out sign. God's wonderful place is open again. Because Jesus died, we can go in. After Jesus died, his friends put him in a tomb. They were very sad. For two days, nothing happened. And then the next morning, 
Jesus' friends went to see his body in the tomb, and it wasn't there. A little later on, Jesus' friends were all together, and suddenly, Jesus was there, alive. Suddenly, his friends weren't sad. Now they were so, so happy. God had brought Jesus back to life so that he could live in God's wonderful place forever. And Jesus has sent everyone an invitation to come and live with him here too. He tells us, God says it is wonderful to live with him. Because of your sin, you can't come in. But I died on the cross to take your sin. So all my friends can now come in. We can live with God forever. There will be nothing bad and no one sad. We will see God and speak to God and just enjoy being with God, just as he planned. It will be wonderful to live with him, and it's all because of Jesus. We will say every day, thank you, Jesus, you're amazing, and you can start saying that today. Well, thank you very much, Jake and Jen for leading us and singing so well, and to Maria for reading us that beautiful story. And so we are um, going to now look at that same story and the same veil in the temple and, and what Maria just read to us, but I want to look at it a little bit more closely and, and see what message and what lessons we can learn from that. When Jesus died, uh, we read that the temple veil was torn in two. And all of a sudden, this, this uh, thing that would have seemed indestructible was, was literally just torn and, and was now removed. And so the temple held, you know, it was an important place. Well, that would be actually an understatement. The temple was and held an incredible significance to Judaism. This, in their minds, this was the place where God dwelt. This was the place where they would go to, to pray and where they would go to offer sacrifices, where they would go to be close to God. And so the temple was this extremely important place for them. This was where they would take their animals and their sacrifices and a priest, a human being, another priest, would go and they would intercede on behalf of the people. They would go and present the needs of the people before God. This was obviously then the place, the temple, this was the place where sacrifices were made. Blood was very, very important part of these sacrifices. Blood had to be shed to atone for the sins of the people. You cannot look at the Old Testament very long and not see um, that there was a lot of blood involved. And I'm going to do my best not to get too graphic, but you need to understand that this was, this, was what was, this is what it was like back then. This is what people had to do. They had to shed blood. So for example, you'd have sheep, you would have goats, you would have doves, lambs, and they were all sacrificed and they were burned on the altar as an act of worship. And this was something that happened nonstop from the days of Abraham all the way to the time of Jesus. Constantly, constantly, blood was shed. And as I said before, not to sound too gross or not to get too graphic, but the tabernacle, the place where Moses, you know, um, had the people meet in the desert all the way to the time of Solomon, all the way to the time when Ezra and Herod rebuilt the temple, blood was constantly, constantly being shed. The temple that we're going to look at today the veil that we're going to talk about today was the one that is during the time of Herod's temple. And the temple had been torn down and rebuilt at least twice. And so the temple we are looking at today is the one that Herod rebuilt. So why the need for blood? Why all this blood? Well, let me take you back to the very beginning. Genesis chapter 3, we read that Adam and Eve sinned. And because they sinned, a sacrifice had to be made because here's what happened. Their sin, Adam and Eve's sin, separated them. In a sense, it was like this veil. It separated them from God. And so the only way they were ever able to be, you know, together in union with God again is that a sacrifice would have to be made. Blood would have to be shed. So it was here that God instituted the sacrifice of animals in order to show the devastating impact that sin 
had on humanity. And you'll read in, in Genesis 3 that God killed an animal as a covering for Adam and Eve. And I want you to catch this. This was the first time blood was shed to cover the visible impact of sin. Adam and Eve were naked and they felt shame and so an animal had to be sacrificed. An animal had to die in order to physically cover the shame that they experienced. So God killed an animal in order to cover their shame. The book of Hebrews and the author of Hebrews shows us that a whole lot of sacrifice had gone on for centuries and he, and he walks us through all of these different sacrifices and all of these different orders and, and, and ways that people had to sacrifice in order to atone for the sins. And so these priests who would have gathered in the temple from Abraham on to, to all the way back to, or all the way towards Jesus, these priests would come and gallons and gallons of blood would have been spilled to mediate between God and man. Because this was the only way, this was the only way that man's sin could be atoned for. But there's a problem. It was never enough. Think about all the animals that would have been sacrificed in one year. Well, guess what? Next year, it had to be done all over again. The priest would enter into the tabernacle, the priest would enter into the temple, and there they would make these sacrifices. That was their job. That was what the priest did. And then Jesus came on the scene. And when Jesus came on the scene, he changed everything. Everything. Look at how the author of Hebrews, how he speaks about Jesus. Because we, they had this system in place where the priests would come in and they would enter into the, the holy place and they would enter once a year. One priest would enter into the holy of holies. But now... Hebrews describes what Jesus does. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11. If you have your Bibles with you, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11. I'll read. But when Christ came as high priest of the good things that are now already here, he went through the greater and more the more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands. That is to say, is not a part of this creation. He did not enter by means of blood of a goat and calves. He entered the most holy place once and for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. I love that. I love that. Jesus didn't enter into Herod's temple like every other priest did. Jesus didn't even enter into the most holy place like the high priest did once a year. He came into the true tabernacle. In other words, he stood in the very presence of God himself. And the other thing that's, that's clear here is that Jesus didn't enter into the presence of God with another animal sacrifices. He didn't animal sacrifice. He didn't enter in with a goat or a lamb or something like that. He was the sacrifice. He entered into the very presence of God and he allowed himself to be sacrificed. His own blood was shed to pay for the price of our sins. When Jesus died, you need to understand that when Jesus died, the sacrifice was paid for. For me personally, I think there are few things that illustrate this simple fact more powerfully than the tearing of the veil in Herod's temple. Look at what it says in Mark chapter 15 verses 33. Mark chapter 15. Again, I hope you have your Bibles with you. Turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 15, verses 33. It says this, at noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. At three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard this, they said, listen, he's calling Elijah. Someone ran, filled a sponge with wine vinegar, put it on a staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down, he said. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. And here it is. 
The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood in front of Jesus saw how Jesus died, he said, surely this man was the son of God. This veil, this curtain, was first instructed to be put in place by God himself. God recognized, and you saw in the book that Maria just read, God recognized that something had to stand between him and the sin of the people. And so God, in Exodus chapter 26, verse 31, instructs them to put this veil in place. He says this, Exodus 26, verse 31. Make a certain curtain of blue, purple, and scarlet yarn in finely twisted linen with cherubim woven into it by skilled workers. Hang it with a gold hook on the four posts of Acadia wood overlaid with gold and standing on four silver bases. Hang the curtain from the clasp and in in place the Ark of the Covenant, Covenant Law behind the curtain. Here it is. The curtain will separate the holy place from the most holy place. So I want to illustrate this to you in, in some way. And, I, and I maybe just use the center of your screen. Okay, right here. So you have these two rooms. On this side of the room, or this side, you have the holy place. And then on the other side, you have the most holy place, often also referred to as the holy of holies. And in between here hangs this veil, this curtain. And it's important to recognize that that God instructed that this veil would be between these two places because over here, certain people were allowed to go that were never allowed to go into this place. And we're going to look at that a little bit more. So God instituted that this would be put in place. So let's look at this veil and let's look a little bit more carefully at these, at these two rooms. The first thing you need to understand about this veil is that it's probably much bigger than you think. It's probably much heavier than you think. I think some of us may have this idea that it's this thin, light little thing that, that was you know, hanging there and dividing, but it's not quite like that. This veil was so much more. It was the separation. It was the boundary. And think about what kind of a veil you would need to be the boundary between the the holy of holies and the the holy place. This veil was significant because it was the boundary. It was the symbolic barrier between where God dwelt and where God uh, didn't dwell among his people. The holy place, this room on this side, the holy place was a, was a room with three pieces in it. Three pieces of, of, of furniture or, or articles. There was a golden lampstand, a table with 12 loaves of bread, and they represented the, um, the 12 tribes of Israel, and a small altar where incense was burned constantly or continuously. This room was about 40 feet, you know, 40 feet wide. It was 80 feet long, and it was 40 feet High. So this room was, was a large room, and this is where the priests, the majority of the priests, this is where they would gather, and they would do their sacrifices, and they would go and do their rituals. This was the room where, where you know, the average priest was allowed to go. Now, the Holy of Holies was very different, and you need to recognize that this room, the, most, the holy place, this was as close as a priest would get to the presence of God or where God dwelt. Now, the Holy of Holies was separated by this veil. And in the Holy of Holies, this is where the Ark of the Covenant was. This room, here sat the Ark of the Covenant, and in this place, this was where God dwelt. And that's what was happening in this temple, and that is what the veil represented. It was this barrier between these two rooms. Now, I said before, we're going to look at the temple that Herod rebuilt because Solomon originally built the temple and then later on, you know, it got torn down um, from time to time. So Herod rebuilt the temple. And when Herod rebuilt the temple, you need to understand this. The ark that was in the most holy place had been lost for centuries. It wasn't even in the room. It had been lost somewhere in the 6th century BC. This room was empty. And so this barrier still hung there. It was still in place. 
And the people went, you know, and, and did their sacrifices, but this room was empty. The presence of God still dwells here because we, we recognize that when, you know, when people would go in here, they would, they would sense the presence of God, but the ark was no longer there. The veil was still there. And the Old Testament tells us that it was woven from clothes made of blue, purple, scarlet, and fine linen. This veil stood some 40 feet tall. It was 40 feet wide. And some scholars believe, especially one of the scholars by the name of Josephus, is that when Herod rebuilt this temple, he made it even taller and even wider. Josephus was a, a Jewish historian, and he writes that the veil was draped from a heavy lentil weighing some 30 tons. This veil was indestructible. Josephus also tells us that the veil was made up of 72 strips of material, each made separately and then carefully woven together to make one great curtain. The veil was as thick as the palm of your hand, about four inches thick. And I won't bore you with how the threading was done, but all of this to say that there was no way, there was absolutely no way that when it says that the curtain was torn in two, that it was done by human hands. And yet we read that when Jesus died, this veil, this barrier, this barricade, this boundary between God and us, was torn into the place that used to you know the thing that used to separate God from us was now removed so let's look at what are some of the symbolisms then of this veil being torn because I love this image of something violently being torn apart so what is some of the symbolism of this there's many but let's look at just a few it reveals the grief of God it reveals the grief of God. Right before Jesus died, he cried out, remember, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And in the days of Jesus, when a father would hear bad news, especially if he would hear about the death of a loved one, especially a child, he would tear his clothing. And to me, this is a this is something that is powerful. This is a powerful act illustrating the grief of a father. And I think here, in a sense, we have this illustration of the grief of God. God tearing the temple in his own anguish as he watches his son die. The other thing that is symbolic of this temple, uh, this veil being torn, is that it foreshadows the end of the temple. In Matthew chapter 24, Jesus predicts, he, he says long before it happens, Jesus predicts that the temple is going to be completely destroyed. And after the veil was torn, the Sanhedrin, this body of Jewish leaders that would have normally met in the temple to legislate and guide and direct the Jewish people, they actually had to move to a different location. So we know this temple was torn because there's no way the Sanhedrin was still going to meet in the place where there was no longer a barricade between them and God because they would have seen that as a death sentence. <clears throat> and we read... Again, from history that in AD 70, Titus destroys this Roman leader. He destroys the temple just as Jesus had foretold. But let's focus now on what is the symbolism for us today? This veil being torn and broken or, or ripped apart. We just read <clears throat> how it was literally impossible for anyone to get near the holy, the most, you know, the holy place, much less into the holy of holies. You couldn't get inside. In the Old Testament, God was hidden behind this veil. He was not accessible. Think about that for a moment. Serving a God that is not accessible, serving a God that you cannot get access to personally, you have to always go through a priest in order to have your sins, you know, um, atoned for. Only the high priest could enter the Holy of Holies, and he could only enter this place once a year. And here's the interesting thing. In the holy place, all these priests would gather and they would get him ready, and, and here's a couple of things that they would do as a precaution. He would wear a bell. 
Okay? And they would tie a rope around him. Why? Because if he would enter into the most holy place, and let's say he's in this room and he's done something that displeases God, his life would be taken. He would die. And so the priest on this side would would be leaning in and they would be listening. And if they didn't hear the bell ringing, they would assume that something bad had taken place. And they would wait and they would wait. And after a while, if they still didn't hear the bell, they would actually pull this person back. That's the old system. That has now been torn. God is now accessible to all of us. When Jesus died, this veil was torn apart. Suddenly, God is present with us. He is no longer, you know, we are no longer dependent on another human being to represent us to God. Jesus is now our intercessory between us and God. Every single one of us now has access to the Father. Every single one of us has access to God at all times, wherever we are. See, when Jesus died, That veil was removed. What was once hidden is now revealed. We have access to the Father through Jesus Christ. No more animal sacrifices. No more blood to be shed. No more fear in approaching God. No more ambiguity. No more mystery of what's behind there. Now we can see and we can know God personally. When Jesus died, your sins and my sins were forgiven. We are forgiven. This very moment, our sins have been paid for. We have salvation in Jesus Christ. Every single one of us has direct access to the salvation that Jesus provides for us. So the tearing of the veil... At that very moment, Jesus' death dramatically symbolizes that his sacrifice, the shedding of his blood, was sufficient for sin. And now, there is no longer a barrier between us. Jesus says this in John chapter 14, verse 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus came and he died for this very reason, to make a way so that you and I could have salvation through him. Romans chapter 6 verses 10 says, The death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourself dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Romans 5 verse 8 says this, But God demonstrated his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In a little bit, we're going to take communion. And I want all of us just to stop for a moment and just ponder And reflect. Have you embraced this love? Have you embraced this love that that Jesus showed? That God gave? This love that would tear every separation apart. So that we can have a relationship with God. Have you embraced this love? Because you need to understand the veil is gone. There is no longer anything standing between you and God. And if you have never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I invite you today, right now, wherever you are watching this, invite Jesus into your heart. Recognize and embrace the sacrifice that he made for you. Jesus died for you so that you could have life in him. At this time, we're going to go back and watch... Um, Jake uh, Clausen and Jen sing a song called The Garden. And we didn't put the lyrics uh, on this song. We want you just to sit and listen. And if you know the song, obviously sing along. But here is just a beautiful song for us to, to listen to and reflect on as we prepare our hearts to take communion. So let's um, take a look.
So as we prepare ourselves for a communion, um, I want us to just to, to take a moment as a family or wherever you're located, um, just to prepare yourself. And so this will be, you know, maybe something that you need to quickly go and get. Um, so I want to give you a little bit of time for that. If you, if you maybe uh, didn't understand or you're wondering how we were going to do this, um, I, I recognize that maybe for some of us culturally, um, this is new. The idea of doing this online, um, I hope you're not bothered by that because what's most important isn't necessarily just the method and how we do it, but with the, the condition of the heart that we have when we do it. And for myself, I thought this was something that would be beautiful symbolism of even though we're in different rooms, even though we're in different, well, different houses all together in different locations, Here's something that we as a church could do at this very moment to together to remember the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross. So at this time, I'm going to give you a chance and I'm also going to call my family up. They're all in the sound room working, um, trying to make sure everything is, uh, is going well. And so I'm very grateful for them. And so they're going to come up at this time and I want to read uh, as soon as they're up here and as soon as you're ready, hopefully, I want to read to us something that uh, we've read many times during communion and something that I want us to just reflect on and, and, and recognize as the importance of why we do this. And, and just as a way, you guys can come on up, uh, just as a way to remember what Jesus did. And so if you've got your stuff together at, at home, um, then, you know, great. If not, then just quickly go and grab something. I'll, I'll tell you what we did. We just brought some crackers. And we just brought some simple juice. We didn't want to have anything elaborate here because we don't want you to think that you have to have something great in place. So just grab something that can be used as a symbol of the body of Christ and the blood of Christ. So I hope you're ready because what we're going to do now is we're going to just read these verses that Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. He says this in verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also pass on to you. 
The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So this time, parents, or wherever you are, whatever, you know, it should be just families, but wherever you are, would you just take a moment and just hand out the bread? And so we're going to do that as a family. And so would you do this now at your own homes? can't see if you're ready, but I hope we've given you enough time. Well, let's pray. Jesus, we look today just briefly at how when you died, the sacrifice that you made, it made a way available to us. So we hold this now in our hands as a symbol of your body that you were willing to give so that we could have life in you. So Jesus, we thank you for the sacrifice that you made, that you were willing to allow your body to be nailed to a cross for our sin, for the atonement of our sin. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you're ready, I'm going to now turn uh, towards my own family, and I hope that you would kind of circle up as your family, and let's just take a moment and let's eat together. Continue reading. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 25. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So again, As a family, I encourage you just to take a moment and to pass out uh, the juice or whatever you have. And so um, I'll take a moment now and uh, do that together with my family. And then we will all take, uh, uh, we'll pray and then we'll take um, time to drink together. Again, I hope you're ready. Um, So let's take a moment and let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for shedding your, uh, or Jesus, we thank you for shedding your blood. Father, we thank you for sending your son Jesus to die for us so that we could have life um, through him. So as we drink this juice now, Jesus, we drink it in remembering as a symbol of the sacrifice that you make. And so we remember that and we thank you, Jesus, for loving us so much that you would shed your blood for us in this way. Pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. So I hope you're all ready at home. And again, I'm gonna join my family and let's take and let's drink together. I'm going to let my family head back to the sound room where they are um, doing all the media stuff for us. Thank you very much for joining us here on stage. Well, I hope that this has been uh, an important time for you. And I hope that um, God has spoken to you through this and uh, that you have had an opportunity today just to, to reflect and to remember. Thank you so much for joining us online. And so, um, Jen and uh, Jake are going to lead us in one more song, 
And after that song, um, feel free to make comments. We would love to hear how you would interact with us. And so let's take a moment now. Let's sing one more song together, and then you are dismissed. Thank you very, very much for being part of this and being together uh, in this way. God bless you.